This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Oh, that's right. The draft class is in. The picks are now in, boys, but the draft class is now complete. What's going on, everyone? Purple Daily on draft. Thor Nystrom, Tyler Fornis, here to break down the Vikings draft class. This will be a year-round Vikings show. Fellas, we made this... uh, Debut last week going into the NFL draft. This will be an NFL draft centric 52 week show a year, whether it's uh, talking about prospects that are just coming out of the draft like we're going to do today or in OTAs, training camp, game by game. Once college football season starts, I got these two resident college football nerds and Thor and Tyler to help break down what's going on for prospect wise while the college football season is happening. So this is going to be a blast. Really excited uh, to work with these two dudes and bringing us some more Vikings takes, obviously, on Purple Daily, where we want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die. All right, I was just talking to you guys off mic. You guys got some sleep yesterday. You guys got some sleep yesterday. Not a ton, a little bit of an R&R, maybe some days off down the road, but we are still uh, in draft grind mode, fellas. Now that you've kind of, you went from like a big board of what, Thor, you had like 500 players or something on your board, and now you get to hyper-analyze, at least from the Vikings' perspective, these six players. So now you really get into the film, right? Now you really get to go and look at uh, what the Vikings were able to do in this draft class. Really excited. I'm glad you guys are uh, joining me for this little adventure here. Yeah, yeah, good to be here. Uh, we're trying to catch up on some sleep, but I'm excited to talk about set the, the Vikings' draft class first. There's some hits, some misses, in my opinion, but I, I'm excited to get into them. Nice, all right, and... Forno, you're uh, you're ready to bring this on too. Oh yeah, I, I still haven't uh, gotten any semblance of sleep, but you know what? Uh, Kevin, one of my writers, uh, comped me to a a hamster running on a wheel, jacked up on cocaine, and that's just kind of how I end up working. Um, it's there's nothing like uh, the NFL draft and being able to kind of work through it, and you know we're we're pretty blessed to be where we're at, and it's. This is our Super Bowl. This is our sure. Christmas. And it's now we get to look at all the presents Santa gave us and decide if we like him or not. Love it. All right, boys, let's just get right into the meat and potatoes here. So, Thor, you were with us at Park Tavern on Thursday when this pick came in. And boy, oh boy, this was a buzzer beater. I mean, we are waiting. All these picks typically either fly off pretty quickly or the trade, you know, will be announced within the first few minutes. The Vikings, if I remember correctly, Thor, and I was, you know, multiple surlies in just like you were. Um, <laughs> That shot clock got down to under a minute, and I was mm-hmm. I was then under the the assumption, well, they're clearly going to trade it. Like, why would they be waiting this long if they're just going to inevitably make a pick? They end up staying put at pick twenty three. 
They take Jordan Addison out of USC. Uh, was also at Pitt before that. Uh, a very decorated college wide receiver. The Vikings go wide out with that first round selection. So Thor just pros, I guess. Let's start with the pros here. Jordan Addison at pick 23. I know we've mocked him before, but what did you like about this pick for the Vikings? Yeah, and, and as far as that that 23rd slot, we sure did see that shot clock go down. I, I would be interested to know what offers they got and which ones they turned down. But I think, you know, that decision, three-dimensional chess decision, right? Because you don't have the second-round pick. You have the first and you have the third. And you have to gauge the wide receiver class, which was not good in this draft, against the cornerback class. That's the two positions you were going to take first. Cornerback class was super deep this year. So I think they ended up making the right call there. But it, it would be inter- interesting to know what offers they ended up turning down for that. But as far as the wide receiver thing, they got they got in on the end of that run there, right? Like no receiver had gone until 20. And then it was receiver, receiver, receiver. And the Giants were going to take one behind there as well if the, if the Vikings didn't. So the Vikings got the last consensus first-round prospect in Jordan Addison. And I think it ended up being the right decision there. Because uh, you saw, like, in the third round by the time that pick got there, there were still quality cornerbacks left on the board. The Vikings certainly got one in Blackman. Their receiver class at that point was slim pickings. So you weren't going to get a guy right there that you would be comfortable starting from day one at receiver across from Jefferson. You're certainly getting that in Jordan Addison. We talked all process about how the Vikings, it was an imperative. They had to get a receiver across from Jefferson that could beat the single coverage that you're constantly going to get if the defense are going to keep bracketing and double-teaming Jefferson. Addison is certainly going to do that. Was And he's proved the concept both in the slot where he won the Bolitnikov for Pitt in 2021. Last year goes to USC, proves the concept outside. In the Vikings' new 12-personnel offense, that's, you know, he's going to be on the outside there. And we know now that he can beat the coverage out there as well. His special sauce, it's route running. He's just so clever with it. Um, it's it's going to be fun to watch him and Jefferson because Jefferson's one of the best route runners in the NFL. Addison could get up there pretty quick. The only thing, the weaknesses with him, of course, it's all fit, the physical stuff. He's a slight receiver and he's not a high octane athlete, but he creates the separation almost every single play anyway. Because of the route running, the footwork, the cleverness, setting cornerbacks up to go one way, and then he goes the other way, just really smoothly, you know, out of the route breaks, that clean corner, cutting out, whatever. It's really hard to jump him, and it's really hard to stay with him through that route break when he folds that clean corner. So, I, I you know, it was a strong pick, especially in lieu of the circumstances, I thought. Forno, what did you think? What did you really like about it? And maybe is there any red flags or any type of causes for concern you think with Addison's game as he makes the jump from college to the pros? So I really like this pick. Uh, I Going in, I thought there's maybe about a 5% chance they end up staying at 23. But a lot of that has to do with the market itself. If you're not getting any kind of capable return to move back, you can't move back. And you have to be able to kind of trust your board and believe in the players that are on there. Consensus board had Jordan Addison at 24th overall. So it's it's right in line with the perceived market value by the um, prognosticators and evaluators. And when you kind of take a look at Addison's game, Thor laid it out really nicely. He is just savvy. Um, I, I, I kind of think of Devontae Adams when I think of Jordan Addison. He's not super flashy. He's not super sexy. But what he does on the field and his ability to explode in and out of cuts, adjust his tempo to kind of fool defenders, utilize leverage, and his size can actually be a plus. Um, I was watching some film earlier today where he's he's getting into physical battles at the stem and he's dipping. So he's like ducking his head like he's going forward under a limbo stick and being able to break to the outside in order to gain that separation to create a, a throwing lane at, for his quarterback. 
And I think those little nuances are so nice, especially when you talk about what Kevin O'Connell's can do with this offense. It's a lot of choice routes. So once you get to the top of the stem where he needs to break off that route, what is the cornerback doing? How are they utilizing their leverage? What, where are their hips facing? That's going to determine a lot of what Addison and Jefferson and those guys are going to do. Are they going to cut in on a hitch? Are they going to do a comeback? Are they going to do a corner post? Are they going to just try and fly right by? I think those elements are really, really appealing. And as far as kind of the athlete portion is concerned, I think they have data that shows he's a much better athlete than he tested with his relative athletic score. Um, If I recall correctly, and Thor, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think Addison was nursing an injury when he was testing. And then you had the USC Pro Day, which is basically a monsoon. And they couldn't really do anything. He couldn't prove what kind of athlete he actually was. And then um, because I'm an absolute sicko, after the draft while I was doing my work, I turned on the PFF draft coverage to just watch it again. And Steve Palazzolo mentioned that he, with the GPS testing data that we don't have access to, he was in the 90th percentile for speed. And that tells me that the guy plays faster. You see, there's a post route against Stanford where he torched third round pick Kai Blue Kelly. And he not only utilized leverage, but he just ran right past him on a post route where he just, he's hitting the post and then he has to like backtrack around the corner to catch the football. You can see he's got juice on tape. And that kind of matches with that data point uh, with the GPS data. Some guys just don't run fast in a track setting. It's a completely different from game speed. So I, I'm thinking that Quasi utilized that GPS data to tell him how fast Addison was, and then Thor's right in the corner market. Th- this is the stock market, and this is what Quasi Dopamensa's background is. You see there's a ton of assets available in corner, and the NFL agreed because there are four cornerbacks taken around one when throughout the entire process, we were hearing potentially five, six, seven guys going around one. Cam Smith, who I had a first-round grade on, falls to 51. Clark Phillips, who I almost had a first-round grade on, falls to like 109, 116 to the Atlanta Falcons, somewhere in there. Like, those are some pretty big disparities. And once you get past, like, the top guys, it's all about picking your poison. And that's what the Vikings end up doing with their picks. And I know we're going to have a lot of discussion because they varied a lot from consensus and Thor's board. Absolutely. Okay, so the Addison pick we're a fan of. Great route runner. He might not uh, pop up on the raw athletic scores or whatever, but regardless, a good player for the Vikings offense. I think what I like about it, uh, specifically, fellas, is he's going to not have to step in here and be the star. Like, you could actually make a serious case. He's the third option in this offense to Kirk or Cousins. Or the fourth. Yeah, right? So that's I think that's, that's what's so easy here. He's just transitioning in here. Now he's going to have to get up to speed, learn a playbook, get all that stuff, and, and it certainly won't be in just an easy night and day step for him. But I think having the pressure off of him from not having to be the number one or even number two guy, I think is really good news for Addison as a prospect for the Vikings, uh, kind of making an immediate impact in 2023. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. And I, Tyler set that up really well with the context because he's totally right. The, the USC Pro Day was an absolute joke. Like, they, <laughs> I mean, like, do you not have an indoor facility? Like, they were making the guys run in these puddles or whatever. Um, and and the, he's totally right, too, about uh, Addison plays faster than that, certainly quicker than that. Like the, the thing that jumps out about him on the field, it's that ability to punch the gas and decelerate. Right. Like he's one of those guys decelerates and then he can punch the gas really quick. That's something we don't have testing on. Right. Like at the combine. But it, you, you've seen it at like the senior bowl. And then, you know, the, the teams have access to the data like Tyler was mentioning. But when they put the chips on you. The teams really care about that max deceleration, max acceleration, so uh, play speed, the, the max speed on the film, whatnot. 
Um, and, and Addison certainly brings you that. One other point I would make about him is he's really good with the ball in his hands after the catch because he has a sense of all the bodies around him. The same cleverness you see with him along the route, he carries that with him as a ball carrier. And so, he, you know, he's one of those guys who can pirouette around the field. He can punch up the gas when he needs to, to to sort of squirt through up into the open field. And then he can start evading people and setting up defenders once he has that ball in his hands. You got, you got to see that both. I mean, like USC loved to use him in the screen game for this reason. And Pitt would, would put give him a lot of, of the targets, you know, uh, closer to the, the field, whatnot. Just get him the ball there. But even when he catches the ball down the field, as long as he has any sort of space whatsoever, he can both evade and then he can run away from you by hitting the Jets real quick. Very nice. Uh, boys, let's, you want to transition to uh, Makai Blackman here? Any other la- yeah. or any other uh, Addison thoughts? Outside of that, we can just get into the third round. So the Vikings trade back uh, on day two of the draft. They go back to that last spot in the third round. They pick up Makai Blackman, a cornerback out of USC. So uh, this is another interesting one for me, at least from my um, uh, rookie analyst grade, that you don't have a lot of cornerbacks in the room here if you're the Vikings, right? Like, you're going to ask Byron Murphy Jr. to be a shutdown guy. You're going to have to ask Andrew Booth, who hasn't been on the field much, a Caleb Evans. I know Lewisine plays safety, but you're going to have to ask a lot of first and now second-year players to honestly step in and play a position that can be exposed very easily in today's NFL. So, Makai Blackman, what was our thoughts on this? Uh, Thor, you were also live with us, obviously, I know, um, on Friday when that pick came across. Tyler, you were joining us for the first half of that selection. So I'm going to actually go to you, Forno. What did you make of the Makai Blackman pick in the third round for the Vikings? Initially, I was disappointed. Um, I think everybody knows, and I mentioned a few times when we were live on Friday, Declan, that I was a massive fan of uh, South Carolina's Darius Rush. I thought he had the size, the mentality, and the ability to play press man in the system. And I thought, especially with his football intelligence and 4-3-6 speed, that he, he would be able to kind of make up for some of those early mistakes, which he made a decent amount at South Carolina. I thought he was the guy, but when I put on Blackman's tape, I started to really understand the vision. And if you kind of look at the consensus board, he was overdrafted by 80 spots and nine cornerbacks. And the one thing that I always kind of contextualize with cornerbacks is not everybody fits every defense. So if there are like, let's say 40 cornerbacks in the draft, you maybe think 28 of them are draftable for you based on the style of football that you play. So some guys like, Trey Hodges Tomlinson, 5'7 and a quarter, 175 pounds, 29-inch arms. You're not going to want that man playing outside in a cover three. So, like, that's kind of where what you're looking at here. And he fits. He's feisty. He's always getting the last punch. Whenever there's, like, a physical altercation, he's always getting in last. He's physical. He needs work on some of his technique. Very sloppy footwork. He's around the ball all the time, but he needs to kind of just be more confident in what he's doing. So when he's on the outside, if a guy uh, just shooting at him, he kind of just keeps his feet a little too fluid, doesn't commit, and then a guy snaps off a comeback, and all of a sudden he has five yards of separation. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to stay up in their face and be able to plant his foot in the ground and explode forward a lot quicker. And I think that's some of the things that they're going to be able to work on with him. Overall, I I get the vision. I understand the player. I was a little disappointed with uh, the value compared to who was on the board that I also thought fit this defense. And I think that's where a lot of that conversation lies about him like potentially being overdrafted. They did trade back, and those picks ended up in Jaron Hall and Dwayne McBride, so it's really hard to completely criticize, especially with how much of a home run that McBride pick was to consensus. But I, I, I understand the pick. This is a Flores guy. and But what's really funny is if you uh, stack those 
him and Jordan Addison on top of each other and cover him with the trench coat, he still weighs less than offensive tackle Dewan Jones by 23 pounds, <laughs> and he went just a few picks after. That was the funniest thing I saw all weekend. <laughs> Uh, Thor, Makai Blackman, a reach, not a reach, a good pick for the Vikings. What was kind of your analysis of it? Yeah, it it wasn't a reach for me. Uh, I had Blackman 113th on my board, and I I could have even put him a little bit higher, honestly. He was a guy that grew on me more and more and more. You know, it's funny, like earlier in his career, first of all, he was stranded in a terrible situation at Colorado. But it just so happened that the the only other player that was better on him on that team was the other cornerback. It was Christian Gonzalez. So he, then he gets out of that situation. He goes to USC. USC defense was a train wreck. Their offense was awesome, but their defense was a train wreck, more or less outside of Makai Blackman last year. And you just sort of missed it in the moment. You know, like he had been overshadowed, and then he's in this, you know, like, you know, bad defensive environment, I, I guess, last year. But, like, you go back and you watch the film on on the kid from 2022, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, the light really turned on for him, a fighter. He, you know, Forno was sort of mentioning this, but he fights you off the line, experienced in press coverage. He was top 10 in the nation last year in outside press uh, man cover snaps. And then down the field, he stays with you, like like sort of Forno was mentioning. The, the thing he, you know, th- that fighting mentality, he doesn't stop it throughout the rep. And the refs are going to be looking more when the ball is descending. And that's what he needs to be careful with, you know, not drawing the, the DPI uh, flags in the NFL. Because that's that's one of his propensity. Try to try to grab a little bit when when the ball's coming down. Uh, be a little physical with that. What he needs to do is attack that ball in the air, and and that's really the last stage of his evolution. I think where you're going to see the next jump with him. But he's always there, and it's not just in the in the coverage thing. Like against the run, and and I think this is one of the reasons why Flores really liked him too. He's a very reliable run defender despite his frame, and a really really good tackler. Like last year for the cornerback class. I think he was top 10 in terms of just aggregate tackles, but he only missed two attempts, which put him right near the top of the class, just in terms of like uh, missed tackle percentage, you know, the, w- w- with the lowest or whatever. So I love all that stuff about him. I think he's a great fit with Flores. And in, in the man coverage thing, when you're sent in the house, like Flores likes to do, he's going to be able to impede that guy's progress off the line and then fight him every step of the way downfield. So I, I just think it's a really, really good fit. Okay, so then they go to Jay Ward, too, a safety, who's also, I believe, played some corner, too, right? Like, he, he kind of dabbled a little bit of both. Obviously, they have Lewis Seen, Harrison Smith coming back for maybe probably the last season as a member of the Vikings. Josh Metellus has also showed some promise here. Where do you guys think Jay Ward fits? Is, is it Are they drafting him with the idea of him being a safety? Is he kind of a Swiss Army Knife person that Brian Flores can deploy in multiple ways? Where does Jay Ward kind of fall into this uh, for the Vikings as an NFL prospect? Tyler, I'll go to you. Oh, you're muted, Tyler. You just got to mute yourself there. It's all good. Judd does it all the time, actually. Well, I I had to mute myself because uh, Odie is chewing on a plastic bottle. It's one of his favorite toys. Ah, yes. It gets a little loud. Um, This is Eric Rowe. And if you don't know, Eric Rowe played for Brian Flores in six of his eight seasons before now. And what Eric Rowe is, he's, he is a Swiss Army knife. He's a, uh, was a cornerback by trade, kind of moved him to safety, put him in the slot, and he is that Swiss Army knife, kind of be able to do everything. Ward has at least five starts at star, which is slot corner, outside corner, and deep safety. He can do a little bit of everything. And he also has that physical mentality. But one thing that really kind of piqued my interest and was a little frustrating, he kind of gets lost a little bit in coverage a little too often. Um, 
like just kind of like his footwork gets super sloppy and then they can just kind of take advantage of his leverage and just completely separate him. He's like, Oh, what, what in the world just happened? Kind of like a kid who a bully just took his candy out at the school bus stop. Like it, I think he needs to work on some of that, but if you can coach up the footwork, the rest of it's there, the physical demeanor, the ability to play multiple positions, which Brian Flores in his introductory press conferences, versatility, versatility, versatility. And you're seeing it because Blackman has some experience in the slot too. Addison can play all three wide receiver positions, albeit that's on the offensive side of the football. But versatility is becoming a theme with this team and being able to do a little bit of everything. I think that they're going to utilize a lot of penny coverages, a lot of three safety looks, get Harrison Smith in the box, let Lewis seen just be an explosive weapon downhill. And with the Ward's ability to kind of float everywhere, you're not going to know where these guys are coming from because they they can rotate almost like a triangle offense in the NBA. <laughs> and one guy can just be deep one snap, and then he can flip down to the slot. Like, I think that's the vision here. Consensus had him safety 14 and 179, but he's not really a safety. There really is no, as far as Arif Pasanska's census board is concerned, a position for a guy like Ward because he can do so many different things, and he's not a true one-position player. I thought this was a really nice pick. They got a 2024 fifth round pick, which is their fifth is going to go to Philly in theory for the Jalen Rager trade. So now they recoup that pick to move down 15 spots and get the guy they're going to target anyway. This is a smooth move down the board and a good football player. Thor, did you like the uh, the, the pick for the Vikings and Jay Ward? I, you know, every position group and every draft, you're going to struggle with a couple guys. I really struggle with Jay Ward because it's it's is he versatile or is he a tweener? And like that line mm. is so thin, and and like with with Ward, it's tough because you you see you see the traits, you see him moving around, and like I want him to be that the Eric Rowe guy that that Forno's talking about, and certainly that's what the Vikings are targeting him as. But like earlier on in, in Jay Ward's career, he was actually better, and he goes through the coaching staff changes, and then they're moving them all over the place. And it's like they could never, you know, sort of find a role for him that they like to just stick him there. And, yeah, you know, you do get the versatility, whatnot, but his play on the field started to regress, like, as we went along. And and that's where it became really difficult for me. I, I also agree with what Forno was talking about, about him in coverage. Like, and I don't know if that's a thing of, like, he just needs to learn one spot and you develop him in coverage there and it will get better. Or is that always going to be a bugaboo of his? And if it is, that's going to make it hard to play him. I like the aggression. I like, you know, and, and this is just like the, the way with Blackman. That kid loves coming up against the run, and he's going to stick you. He's going to – in fact, sometimes he tries to do it too hard and just flies in hot, and then, you know, it's like an off angle or he can overrun it or whatever. Maybe play a little bit more under control with that, but I love the aggression and the willingness to come up and help with that. So, so, so you've seen that as well. But, like, just speaking to the coverage thing, over his entire career in college, and he he played plenty with LSU. He gave up a 111.5 quarterback rating against NFL quarterback rating against on his targets, and 13 touch touchdowns allowed over his career with only 11 pass breakups. That's a little bit of a red flag to me in coverage. But again, he does have these sort of disparate things, and like if he hits the ceiling and everything coalesces, he's going to be what Forno's talking about, and a guy that that Flores loves to use like that. But will he ever sort of, you know, like, can he be above average at every single thing? Do you have to put him in one spot or is he always just going to be sort of a tweener? Okay, I like it. And can you guys explain to me what the hell a tweener is, actually? Because I've heard that term thrown around before. What What is a tweener? 
It's well in in baseball you call it a maybe a quadruple A player, but maybe right. like you know decent <laughs> at, at things, but like not good enough. Like you're always going to have someone on the roster that's better for every specific thing. So even though he could do all the different things, maybe he's not quite as good at any of them as as anyone on the field. That's the fear. But of course, right. like if it goes the other way, now you can move him around and he can be that Swiss Army knife. I like it. Usually with usually with the tweener deck when you're talking about like defensive linemen and you're talking about. Like, oh, is this guy a defensive end or a defensive tackle? Like, uh, which one does he fit best at? Because he's probably a little too big to be an edge, but he's too small to be a defensive tackle. It's one of the reasons Adetamiwa Adebowore ended up falling, in my opinion, just because, like, what's his position? And having to answer that question a lot of times can scare teams off because they're just not 100% sure what they're going to get if they put him in as, like, a full-time, like, certain position. And that's the fear with a guy like Ward. If he, like... Jack of all trades, master of none. If you're a master of none, uh, like what kind of upside do you really have? That's that's how some teams think. But Brian Flores is like, oh, I can utilize you in a bunch of different ways, and it won't. And then I can utilize other guys in certain ways. Like that's the way he thinks, and it's I would say it's a little different from the norm, and that can be both um, positive and a detriment. We'll find out which one it is in time. A good little transition, too, because obviously in the fifth round, they take Jaquayan Roy. By the way, I'm saying that pronouncedly, uh, correctly because Vikings Communications thankfully put out that pronunciation for all of us media people who are going to butcher it, I'm sure, over the next uh, few months. Jaquayan uh, Roy. He is not related to the Roy family in succession, as I tried to make a joke to Mackie and Judd uh, earlier today. They did not get that joke because they, for whatever reason, don't watch one of the greatest television series I've ever seen. Uh, but yeah, I d- Logan Roy, baby. Yeah. I, I digress. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll save my succession takes for another podcast. But they take <laughs> good. I haven't started it yet. That's my summer project. Get on it, Forno, and then let me know when you're yep. watching it because it is it is an incredible incredible show. So no relation to that Roy family, but they take a nose tackle, Jaquan Roy, out of LSU. Is this someone who can step in potentially and help fill that void? You know that I know Dalvin Tomlinson played a little three tech and whatnot, but is this someone who actually has a chance? Because this was a position to need for the Vikings. Like they still have to figure out. I think. Who is going to play that nose tackle position? And obviously a fifth-round pick, it's, it's probably a little uh, too far-fetched to assume he can automatically not just make the 53, but potentially be a week one starter. Where do you guys think Jaquan Roy kind of falls into the Vikings' plans here? I, I struggle with him, too, but for, for different reasons. Are you getting the 2021 Roy, or are you getting the, the one from last year that regressed? That, that I'm not sure of. There are some traits of his that I like, for sure. He's real powerful. Um, like you watch his tape, both his mitts, the, the strength of his hands, both to control and shred with the offensive lineman. But it's also really funny when he gets his hands on the ball carriers because they're not going anywhere. He only needs a little bit of the jersey and you're coming back with him. You better not get close to that guy like as the ball carrier because you're going down. I like that. And then I like the lateral quickness, like when the play is going to sort of shed and then and then make the play whatnot. My concerns with him are, number one, he plays high, and number two, he's slow off the snap. Those guys are, are always like, eh, how is that going to translate? Because you can get under his pads, and you're also going to be able to touch him first. Those are the t- two things I'm concerned about with him, but I do like a couple of the other traits, and those were traits that were really flashing in 2021. And then last year, for whatever reason, he takes that step back, and it's more like that lethargic thing, uh, playing too high, getting washed out against in po- players that don't have the power that he does, like in, in, in the running concepts, whatnot. Which of those two guys are you getting? But if you're getting the 2021 guy, you're getting this at an objective steal. In my opinion, Jacqueline, 
I'm, I said his name wrong. I've been butchering his name for years now, I guess. But like, if if you're if you're getting the 2021 guy, you're getting him at the enormous discount because he ends up declaring after his third season, which was the down season, which is why he went where he did. If he had come back to college and just sort of reverted to the 2021, he was going way higher. At least, you know, probably day two. But you get him at this discounted price point because of that, and you'll just have to see. I struggle with him, but I like I said, I do love a couple of his traits. Borno, what did you like about him? I think Thor really laid it, laid it out nicely with the power. That That's really what's intriguing here. He, he can move people. He can push offensive linemen around, but he needs to work on some of that technique. And I was looking at some way-too-early mocks from last summer, and I found one from Bleacher Report that was fascinating. They predicted three picks, right, including the Vikings taking Jordan Addison. Mm. But Roy was also the 16th overall pick in that draft because of how well he played in 2021. Like, this was a guy that was incredibly highly thought of coming into the year. But that uh, LSU team, even though they made the SEC championship game, it was was a dysfunctional mess at times, especially when you kind of look at the fall of Keishon Boutte and just the weirdness that was Jaden Daniels, Brian Kelly taking over and doing that really weird like dancing where he's doing like the disco thing like that whole situation was kind of dysfunctional and I think Roy was a decent part of that especially when you consider his downturn in play ideally or ironically enough Lance Zerline of NFL.com comped Roy to Dalvin Tomlinson so you're getting a very similar style Hmm. of player um, uh, uh, from Zerline's eyes but the power is something that's really good um, if you can work with him on being smarter and getting off the ball and being able to utilize that the power in his hands earlier in the rep, I think you could potentially get something in the fifth round for a guy that probably should have gone day two based on talent. Like this is the type of player you want to take a high upside guy. You know what? If he doesn't pan out, it's a fifth round pick and you can explain that pretty easy to your boss. But if he does pan out, you could get a, a plus rotational or potential starter on day three. And those are those kinds of picks are how you build a really good potential championship roster and something that Rick Spielman did pretty well um, but in the mid-teens uh, uh, before he ended up kind of just wanting to grab as many picks as he can and they didn't pan out at the end of his tenure. All right, I like it. Yeah, I, they have to figure out something to help obviously replace the Dalvin Tomlinson uh, departure too. So however they want to do that, we'll wait and see. Uh, but, you know, I know it's not a sexy position, but you got you got to get some good nose tackles, right? You got to have those football guys to do those dirty things that aren't as sexy as putting up big box scores and whatnot. But you need someone to do that. We'll see how uh, how he performs. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Boys, let's get to the uh, maybe soup du jour uh, topic here in J- in Jaron Hall out of BYU. So yeah. Forno, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. You've been like manifesting this for a long time, right? You've been a big Jaron Hall fan. Fault. It is Tyler's fault. He actually has an earpiece <laughs> yes. to Quasi. I wouldn't even be surprised at all. He's sending him New Japan Wrestling and and Jaron Hall highlights. It wouldn't shock me one bit. Um, so you really like the pick, and Thor, you have kind of look at the pick in a different factor here. So Forno, let me go to you. Um, Jaron Hall, 
Does he have a chance to be QB2 to Kirk Cousins out of training camp and beat out Nick Mullins? Does he have a good shot at that? Yes, um, I, but I want to preface all my positivity with this. He's still a fifth-round pick. The odds of him being the long-term starter are not super high. But if there was one guy in this class outside of the top four that I would want to bet on to potentially be that guy, especially in this offense, which I think is key, fit matters almost more than anything else when it comes to playing the quarterback position, translating to the next level. I bet on Jaron Hall. And I've been on him since uh, the Holy War in September 21. I I just fell in love with this game, fell in love with the style of play. He's a great character guy, as we found out from Kevin Seifert when they asked it. They asked him about a receiver who they knew they, he ran the wrong route. He put the onus on himself and not the receiver. Like, that's the kind of person you're getting. Uh, but the fit matters so much. He's already running a very similar offense to what Kevin O'Connell runs. And he, they run a ton of pro-style concepts at BYU. He's throw, he was throwing most of this year to true freshman wide receivers because Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney were out for most of it with injuries. And he went into that Oregon game where you're playing against Christian Gonzalez Second game of the year, you're throwing a true freshman, and they still were somewhat competitive, even the score might kind of say otherwise. Hall can make every throw. He does not have elite arm talent, but he has NFL arm talent in that he can make throws to the outside from the far hash. He can do so with timing. He can do so with ball placement. And he's, he's a hooper. The guy makes plays. He can throw on the run. You can design rollouts for this guy, and he can throw across his body. He's, he kind of... Uh, makes some of those throws like Kirk Cousins does, but he's a much better athlete. But there are still some concerns. He's had a couple of concussions. He ended his 2020 season due to a hip injury. He struggled at the Senior Bowl because it came out later. He had a high ankle sprain, but he still fought through it. It was the same ankle sprain, why he missed the bowl game. Like, I love what Jaron Hall is right now. I love what he can be, but I'm still not going to be like, oh, he's for sure the starter in 2024. But because he's going into such a similar offense, a very mature quarterback has already the skill set to continue to grow and develop. I love the fit. I love the potential. I think at the very worst, you have a long-term backup here in Minnesota. And I think that this was the ideal day three quarterback to come here because of all those factors. All right, Thor, what do you not like about this pick? What do you not like about Jaron Hall's game? Um, inconsistencies and accuracy at an older age, you know, he's already 25. Um, there are some things I like for sure, but he is wildly inconsistent. Like you, you see his best games or his best reps, you know, whatever he, you know, I I put this on Twitter. He looks like a top 50 pick, but on his worst ones, he looks like an XFL backup or a guy that shouldn't be playing football anymore. And it, it just vacillates too wildly. Part of that is mechanical. Part of it is the accuracy thing. Like, when he's on with that, that's when his game ticks way up. Forno mentioned that he's a good athlete at the the senior bowl with the tracking. Kim and, and uh, Malik Cunningham were the only guys that got over 18 mile per hour max speed. So you, you certainly have the athleticism there. And then he was a baseball player as well at BYU. You know, so he sort of had the divided attention. Mm-hmm. But, like, you see with, with some of these baseball players that come out, they can throw the ball from different arm slots, which helps when you're under duress and, and doing stuff like that. I'm also sort of curious how he's going to do under duress at the NFL level because had really good protection at BYU in comparison to the opponents that they were playing. There was a lot of quarters or a lot of halves or even some games where he didn't really face pressure. In some of the ones where he did, it's a way smaller sample size, but he struggled with it. And so in the NFL, he's going to face more of that. 
can you know can the the different arm angles plus the athleticism plus being a little bit you know older on the the development curve can that help him when he's under duress at the NFL level? But I, I like the mobility. I agree that he has enough arm move. Does not have a howitzer, but you know out to the intermediate area he throws it with requisite uh, velocity. That probably goes back to his baseball time, just driving those those short window throws in whatnot. But yeah, and and the other thing I'll say contextually to Forno's point is you do see him going through the progressions at BYU. Like he's old hat at that. So so that's one area where he's going to come in a, a little bit more. But yeah, like the, the arm, it, it, it's not a howitzer and then the accuracy can come and go. So there's a lot to fix there, but there is a tool set that, that I can understand why the Vikings were attracted to at that point with so many quarterbacks off the board. So he'll obviously face, you know, a, a tough path to being potentially QB2. You know, Nick Mullins is your classic backup guy. Like, I feel like Nick Mullins is the dude that'll just be bouncing around as a backup quarterback for a few more years and whatnot, and that's a good career, uh, a good gig if you can get it. But I'm I'm curious on him. I haven't watched any tape on him. I don't watch a ton of BYU football either, so I don't really know too much about him. But he, to me, he kind of seems like a, a nice, raw, athletic QB to take a shot on. I think that's kind of how I how I look at it. I'm Obviously, during rookie minicamp here, OTAs will get the first look. And I think probably what's the most intriguing factor is, so Kellen Mond, they just deemed a bust. Like Kevin O'Connell inherited that. He worked with him for one summer and said, I don't even want it on my practice squad. We can just wave this guy basically, right? Mm-hmm. This one, he probably had some influence. There was probably some influence between him and Kwesi saying, could you work with this guy? And I think that's probably what's the most intriguing part because obviously the stamp of any GM and obviously head coach is can I find identify and groom that quarterback. Kirk Cousins is going to be the Vikings quarterback forever. He's probably going to be the quarterback in 2023. You make a case, maybe they bring him back in 2024. But this is the first QB in the Kwesi KOC era, if you will, that they get to kind of make their mark with. So whether if he makes the roster, whether he's QB2 to start the year, um, we'll see what happens. But I I was a fan of it because it's a fifth-round flyer, and why not see you know why not see what you can do? But I, I'm kind of with Thor. The age part is probably what concerns me the most. It's like he's 25 years old, um, and I guess you kind of have to weigh it. You have to weigh the age thing in twofold. You have to weigh it as well. If he's on the younger side, there's room to grow. On the older side, it means he's been around long enough that you think that he should be able to pick things up a little bit more quicker than the other guys who are younger than him. So I guess it's that delicate balancing act, right? That they have to kind of figure out with him. I'm curious to see how he develops throughout training camp. So one of the interesting things about his age, Dex, I consider him 23 in football years because he did serve a two-year Mormon mission out in California. So it's not like Hendon Hooker where he's been playing football uh, consistently throughout his life. He had that two-year gap. Because you have that two-year gap, It's you have to contextualize it a little different. Yes, he's 25, but he had two years off of football. And then he went to BYU. He was signed in the class in 2016, started playing in 2018. So that gap makes somewhat of a difference and like it's an issue. He's still 25 years old, but it's different from a guy who never stopped playing football for a segment in time because he did serve that Mormon mission. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, with me, you know, with the age being what it was last year, you want to see him take that leap forward on the field. We didn't necessarily see it. He wasn't, he wasn't terrible. And Forno gave some of the context for some of the reasons for, for that little bit of a regression, but I wanted to see more from him on the field last year. And then I was still holding out hope you go to the senior bowl and he badly struggled at the senior bowl. We, we were charting the accuracy of the quarterbacks during the team drills. Jaron Hall finished lowest by margin. And then you look at the tracking stuff with, in, with the ball in the chip as far as like longest throw, 
uh, peak end velocity, stuff like that. He was he was in the bottom half for the quarterbacks, like, and all that different stuff. But I, Forno gave some of the context for, for that stuff, you know, but accuracy was a bugaboo for him yeah. throughout his, his career at BYU. So that's something that, that O'Connell's going to have to work on. His accuracy did tick up a little bit last year. It needs to tick way more up to, for him to become viable. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think he's going to be QB3 next year. I don't think he's any threat to Mullins in, in year one. But you just develop him, and you see what you have after that. He certainly has traits. All right, boys. And then they wrap things up with Dwayne McBride, the seventh-round running back here, who I believe Schefter had as high as number five on his running back big board, if you will. Uh, so he was viewed as a pretty highly regarded running back. He falls all the way to the seventh round. The dude was a baller at UAB. I, I can't believe you can even average seven and a half yards per carry without yeah. saying that's like from Madden, yeah, o, like Madden 08 or something. Like those are video game like numbers. Um, the running back position is really interesting. Like we saw Pacheco of the Chiefs step in last year and, and be a, a really solid player for them. Um, Dalvin Cook's future is really murky here. I think it's trending towards he's probably not going to be on the Vikings, whether that's via trade or just an outright release. I guess we'll see what happens there. There certainly could be resolution. He is under contract, so the Vikings own his rights. Uh, but it feels like McBride has like a legitimate chance, even though he's a seventh-round pick, to be a really nice piece in this offense, potentially be right behind Alex Madison, or even just be a straight-up handcuff between the two guys. Uh, what did you guys like from the Dwayne McBride piece? Uh, Thor, what did you like about it the most? Uh, this was the pick that I loved that they did on on Saturday. Getting him that late, that's that's an absolute no-brainer, especially for the post-Delvin world that I think we're about to enter. And I think Dwayne McBride can factor in as a rookie when you're looking at that, you know, between Madison Chandler, he it, he's a really good complement to their skill sets. What you get from McBride, it's it's the skill as a runner. What you don't get, he doesn't catch the ball. He's like he's not gonna play on on passing downs. And, and that deserves to be said. It's part of the reason that he fell down. But the Vikings don't need him to be a pass catcher, right? Like, he, he can just be the, the early down kind of grinder guy. I, I love how fearless he runs. He runs with power. And he also can make your angle miss, or he can, he can throw off your angle in those beats up to contact. And then he can run through the arm tackle. He's a broken tackle machine. Uh, PFF, they, they, you know, over their nine-year uh, charting history, Career broken tackle rate. McBride is number three. The only two guys ahead of him during those nine years, Bijan Robinson and Javante Williams, who are both just broken tackle machines. But like McBride, a little bit underrated in, in terms of that, just because he played a little bit off the beaten trail. But love the way that kid runs. Love the way he competes. I I put the joke out on Twitter that it, that he's like when he runs, it's like in Terminator when you need to see the red go out from the eyes. <laughs> for his runs to be done, he will keep going and keep going until he is dead to rights on the ground and the whistle is blown. And you saw some crazy runs for, for him at, at UAB. Uh, there was one where he sort of like flips up into the air, somehow lands on his feet, and then he gains like three or four more yards. Like after that, it, it, it pretty wild. You see different stuff like that from him. But a really good compliment for the what the Vikings already have. And presumably this pick was made because they know Delvin Cook's not going to be on the roster next year. Porno, what did you like about it? He runs like a car wreck, and yeah. it's it, when you when you watch him, it he, he's it's honestly some hilarious film because you'll see defenders like dive at him, and it'll almost be like uh, Darth Vader just like sticking his hand out, and the force will just bounce him right off. <laughs> it's it's truly some hilarious stuff. He he's super physical. He's got amazing contact balance, and there, yes. there's even one play where he he gets kind of flipped up over offensive lineman lands on his feet and keeps going 
Like, this dude was the UAB offense, and the reasons why he fell are twofold. One, he didn't end up testing because he had a hamstring injury around the time of both the combine and the UAB pro day. And two, he is a complete unknown in the passing game. UAB targeted him nine times in three years in college, five catches for 29 yards, no touchdowns. What is he in the passing game? And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that he was bad. UAB didn't use the running backs at all in the passing game. So we just genuinely don't know. And that's going to be something that's really going to determine how much he plays early on. If he's going to beat out Madison for touches, he's got to do it on first and second down until we figure out what he's going to be in the passing game. Because on third downs, who knows? It's just a complete unknown. And we it's hard to contextualize a player where a, a massive part of being a running back, you have no clue what he's going to be or what he ever will because he's never shown anything. So that's something that the coaching staff's going to have to contextualize and find out. But as far in terms of just running the football, this dude has everything but the true home run speed. Uh, he has good buildup speed to kind of be able to keep separation, but he's not going to create separation. And those are the types of guys that can create that separation that you see going at the top of drafts. McBride doesn't have that, but boy, does he have everything else. And he is so much fun watching run the football. He's never going to be a pass catcher. I give up hope in that regard. Like the the one the one thing you're you know concerned about with him as a runner is he also fumbled, but like at an excessively high rate. The the hands are the issue with him. Um, yeah, I mean there was UAB usage for sure, but like if that kid could catch the ball, they would have used him more there. And there's reasons to believe that the hands are are the issue there. But that's the one thing he's got to clean up as a runner is the ball security. Knowing that I'm like the the pass game stuff. I, I just don't think it's going to be there, but it doesn't need to be, right? Like, if he was an awesome receiver, he would have gone in, in on day two, because like the the skill of of the of, of him as a runner is is such that that it would it would do that. But like in the NFL, if you can't catch, your price point is going to get knocked down a bit. But like I like it deserves to be said how skilled of a runner he is, and in this new era of the NFL where you're mixing and matching different players' skill sets. The Vikings are always going to have a better pass catching back on the field and they can use that to, to mitigate his usage like throughout the game, right? Like he can just do sort of the early down stuff. But I, I do think that there is a real shot that we see him on early downs next season in that, in that, that post Delvin world or whatever. Like, I mean, it's not like uh, Madison or, or Ty Chandler are world beaters. They're certainly going to get the, the, the pass, uh, the passing work on the passing downs, whatnot. But the skill of McBride as a runner, I, I think we're going to see that pretty early. Well, before we wrap up here, uh, just give me one player that was in this draft class that the Vikings passed on that you wish that you would have seen them take. And I'll hate to put you on the spot a little bit here, but you guys uh, watch a lot of different prospects. You see a lot of different guys. You love your college football. Um, give me one player. It could be in any round, too, by the way. It doesn't have to be the first or seventh. Pick one round. Was there one player that you really want to see the Vikings take and ended up passing on Tyler. What do you What do you got for me? I mentioned Darius Rush with the Makai Blackman pick, and that I I still think that. But I'm going to go in a little different direction. Round five. Why not take a swing on At Perry? Like it, to me, he was that was too good of a value. Yeah, he was kind of like a discount Quentin Johnston in my eyes, where he does a lot of similar things, but he has more fluid hips. But he's just such a, an odd projection because uh, there are times where he just looks like a like a top ten talent and other times where he doesn't even look draftable. And I think that's why he was still available on day three. I had a third-round grade on him because he had so much potential as an X with the speed, the ability to separate, and the ability to 
go over the top because you can hear Odie whining because he wants <laughs> to leave the office. Um, I, I, even though you take a receiver early, you still only have three receivers on the roster in 2024 and Jefferson, Naylor, and now Jordan Addison. That would have been a good opportunity to be able to take, one, a guy with size that can still fit your offense, and two, you now have depth moving forward. Like, I'm not going to say that Roy was a bad pick, but I would have taken a shot on Perry just because the value I thought was so high. Love it. Thor, how about you, man? Was there anyone that uh, you missed or that the Vikings missed out on that you wanted to see get uh, get drafted by the Vikings? Yeah, there, for me, there would be two answers. I don't know if they could have jived getting both Blackman and Adeboare, who the Colts got, but I would have tried to. Like, y- you probably would have had to risk Blackman. Um, you, you probably would have had to trade up from your – I see we're, we're in the fourth round there trade up from the pick where they ended up getting Jay Ward. But like, I, I like the ball of clay there. You just don't see kids like Adebawari with those kind of physical skills fall down to, to, to round four. So I, I probably would have done that and then tried to get up from 134 to get Blackman and, and just see what happened there. But the other one that I would say like specifically without any trades was use that Jaron Hall pick when Evan Hall was still on the, the board, the local kid running back from Northwestern, who is one of the best receiving backs in this class. It's funny that, you know, I, I love, you know, I we were talking about McBride a little bit ago. Love McBride. I, I had uh, Evan Hall a bit higher on my board. They're opposite kinds of backs. Evan Hall, his special sauce is receiving, and you can do all these different kinds of things with him. If you would have taken him as opposed to Hall, you, you would have had to sacrifice the, the thing going into the, they, they'd obviously decided coming into this weekend, we're going to take a quarterback. You take Hall there, you can't do that. Um, and then obviously with your seventh round pick, you would have been using that on a different position than McBride. But I think the way I would have gone is taken Hall with that, that round five pick. I'm really bullish on his skill set translating. He, you know, at two, uh, around 210 pounds. He also tested as a freaky athlete during this process. And then maybe using your seventh rounder just on any sort of a guy that was highest on your the BPA, you know, like a, a guy that, that you were bullish on that had fallen through. And certainly there was a bunch of guys in round seven at different positions that you could have looked there. But I, it's hard for me to argue with the McBride pick because I do love the McBride pick. But I just think Evan Hull is really, really going to surprise. And it would have been a cool story bringing him back home. Boys, I love it. That was like almost an hour-long breakdown on beating potatoes NFL draft picks. So appreciate you guys uh, giving some insight there on the Vikings. Uh, six players they drafted next week. We'll just give this tease out now. We'll break yeah. down the UDFAs. We'll get we'll get really greasy here. I mean, the draft everyone knows the draft picks, and you know there's some fringe day three guys that probably go over some people's heads. If you really want to get some uh, more meat and potatoes with uh, with your dish, there it's going to be great on the UDFA class that uh, Tyler and Thor are going to help us break it down uh, next and Monday. Spoiler too. alert, Dex! If I could just jump in really quick, the Vikings signed one of the best UDFA classes wow. in the entire NFL. I, I do the UDFA class for fantasy pros. They're going to be very, very high. One of only five teams in the NFL that signed nine or more players that were left on my 500-player board on Saturday night, the UDFAs. I love it. So there you go. There's a great little tease for you for next Monday on Purple Daily on Draft with Tyler Fornis and Thor Nystrom. Uh, hit that subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Sports Entertain or Minnesota Vikings Entertainment, I should say, right here on Purple Daily, where we just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.